Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. not having no troubles that gives us joy. It's not being trouble-free, trial-free that gives us joy. It's having Jesus through the trouble and the trial and not being alone that is joyful. Amen? Amen. And knowing that because of him, it will not last forever. That is where our joy comes from because he wins and we're with him. (laughs) Wow, what a good news. What good news. What good news? There we go. When your spouse or your kid or a friend comes up to you and says, starts their conversation off with you and says, now don't freak out, but, and then they say whatever, you know that what they're about to say is something that would naturally make you, what? Freak out a little bit, right? Peter starts off the passage we're in today, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, by saying, Beloved, don't be surprised, but... And then he talks about trials and suffering. Our natural inclination when pain and hardship hit can be to be surprised and to react. And my whole goal this morning, I think, unless God wants to do something else, but the conviction he put on my heart this morning was to encourage you, to give you deep, deep encouragement. Now, let me just tell you, I'm not gonna encourage you by saying like some self-help stuff that'll make you, you know, get through the next week okay. I mean. Okay, but I'm not going to do that because that's, that's shallow. And I'm not, I'm not going to encourage you by saying nothing bad's going to happen because then I'd be lying to you and you'd all know that I'm full of it, right? Not, I'm not going to encourage you by telling you things that your ears want to hear. What God has convicted me to encourage you with is a deep drink from his word that will give you actual courage. That's what the word encourage means, to inject with courage. I want you to see the word of God, and I want you to leave today with more courage and more of a conviction to follow Jesus bravely than you had before. If we can come out of this service that way, I think we've accomplished what we need to in some ways. I want to encourage you with deep soul and character building message from God's truth that strengthens and infuses your soul with courage that we would become a brave, brave people. Bravery is very uh, scarce today. Maybe it always has been, but it seems to be more and more scarce as I get older and older. Maybe that's just becoming, I'm a, I'm, I'm because I'm becoming a grumpy old man. I don't know. But um, courage. I want to encourage you. Today, I want to show you the deep and abiding courage that Jesus himself has made available to us. You may look at yourself and say, but I'm, I'm so scared. I've never been a brave person. I've never had courage. But Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, has made it available to you through him. So just to catch us up a little bit with where we've been in the book of 1 Peter, uh, on one of the themes that Peter keeps bringing up, he keeps bringing up the, the theme of suffering and trials, pain, and he like brings it up and then he goes to something else and then he brings it up again and it's a little different and then he goes to something else and he brings it up again and it's a little different and, and he gets 
less general and more specific as he goes along, as he brings it up again. He gets more and more specific. The very first time he talks about trials, in chapter one, he talks about various trials. He's like, generically, you're gonna go through hard stuff, right? But then he gets more specific. In like chapters two and three, he talks about situational stuff. Like you have a government that's ruling over you that may or may not be good and just. Or you, you may be a slave under slavery in this day. And, and that, that master you have may or may not be good and just. Or you're a wife living in a culture where you have a husband who's ruling over you as it was in that day, and that husband may or may not be a good husband. And, and the, the answer to us in those situations that we find ourselves in is you still can honor and follow Jesus with courage. And then he moves it a little even more specific that there will be crisis and there will be pain and hardship that comes because you don't live the same way because of obedience. Obedience is causing suffering because you're trying to obey Jesus in a world that does not. And so because you live differently and people see that it's different and that you don't join in the things that they're doing, there will be a misunderstanding of why and they will mock you. And then in today's passage, he gets the most specific he's been yet. And he says, there will be a day and there is a day and time where it's not just because you live differently, but because you align yourself with Jesus Christ himself, there will be suffering. For us, that's more of a future thing. For other people in the world, that is a very present right now thing. That if you align with Jesus, if you are loyal to Jesus, if you carry the name Christian, you will suffer. So today he's speaking about suffering because you have aligned yourself with Jesus. That even bearing the name and identity of Christian can and will bring you persecution. And so here's the big picture. Peter is encouraging us to steward our response to hardship and persecution well. We typically look at hardship and say, well, I gotta re react or respond to it, but do we ever stop and say, no, I have to steward it. This is something given to me that I am responsible to steward and handle in Jesus' name. And what we find is this, Christian suffering in some ways, in many ways, is defined as a reasoned response to an unreasonable situation that there is a deeper reason why we do what we do behind everything we do in response to unreasonable situations. I think that we will find that most of our flinch reactions to pain are reasonable if you view it only in light of the present and what's happening right now. Those things that we're just tempted to do as reaction to pain, those seem very reasonable to us in the moment, right? Right now in the present. But in the light of eternity, those are not reasonable responses. The reasonable response for us as followers, disciples of Jesus, is not a flinch reaction, but a reasoned obedience to Jesus, even and especially through the hardship, the difficulty, the mocking and reviling that will come our way. Christ-like response to pain is the most reasonable response in light of eternity. Several months back, uh, me and a couple of my youngest kids were uh, driving in Turlock. I live in Turlock. We're driving up Golden State, almost to Taylor there, and it's kind of a wide road, and there's a median in the middle of it. And there is this uh, SUV that was in front of us, like 50, 75 yards in, in front of us. And they probably weren't paying attention, but something happened, and they hit the curb of that median, Right? Obviously, that was shocking. That was a surprise to them. What do you think they did? They overcorrected right, right? Away from the median, right? That didn't turn out well. Got squirrely. And then when they were about to crash over there, what did they do? Overcorrected left. And then what happened? They hit the median and flipped, landing on the roof. <laughs> I immediately pulled over. I'm calling 911. I can't, you know, get out with my kids in the car. There's people rushing in, getting them out. It was, they were okay, I think. 
Um, we got help there and all that. But what I find, that's to me a perfect picture of how we tend to respond to suffering. Oftentimes, it's our reaction to suffering that does most of the damage. If that driver would have hit the curb and just kind of kept straight and gone with the bumps and stopped, hey, maybe they would have gotten their alignment fixed after that. But it was the reaction to the suffering, to the pain, that actually caused the huge damage. See, when suffering and pain and even persecution comes our way, we can let it build our courage. Let it teach us to stay faithful to Jesus and his way of doing things. If when it comes, we're not surprised by it and we just keep moving forward, not reacting, not overcorrecting. I think that's what Peter is building into us today. Look at verse 12, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad. Jesus is quoting, sorry, Peter is quoting Jesus specifically right here from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in the midst of persecution, rejoice and be glad. When his glory, Jesus' glory is revealed, he's talking about Jesus' second coming. Jesus will come one day through the clouds and he will come down to this earth to set up his kingdom. That is when his glory will be revealed, Jesus' second coming, his return to rule this earth, will I rejoice and be glad when that day comes. The first thing Peter says is don't be surprised. Don't let it take you by surprise. When suffering, when hardship, and when persecution and mocking specifically for the name of Jesus comes upon you. Craig Keener, one of the commentators that I read this week, said this, since believers are aliens or strangers within the world, they shouldn't think it as alien or strange to face the testing of the world. Our citizenship belongs first and foremost to the kingdom of Jesus. And we find ourselves as citizens of this country we live in as well, or whichever country people live in. Your, your citizens there too, but your first and foremost citizenship is the kingdom of heaven. And when you live by its values, it will come into conflict with the values of the place that you live. We shouldn't be surprised. I'm surprised at my ability to be surprised when suffering comes. When the pandemic hit, I didn't see that coming. I don't, I don't know if any, did any of you see it coming? I mean, I didn't, but even like, just like that something that big and bad could happen. I just, I didn't, I didn't have much of a category for it. I do now. I wasn't ready for it. I was surprised. But will I be surprised when the next thing happens? If I am, then I haven't been bowing and listening to my teacher, King Jesus. So easy to imagine future Travis being brave in the face of persecution for Jesus. Do you all ever imagine that sometimes? Like, yeah, well, when it gets really bad in this world and it's illegal to follow Jesus, you know, and they come to me and they say, renounce Jesus, I'll say, no, I'll never do that. I'll never join you. I've, you know, anyone else, like, look at yourself and, like, imagine yourself being super brave and standing there, fine, you know, cut my head off. I'm... Is that just me? I had this comic book in my head of how I'll respond, right? But here's what I feel like God is saying to me this week. How I handle the normal suffering in life that comes regularly right now might be an indicator of how I'll do with actual persecution. Maybe. I don't, I don't, I don't want to fully put my weight on that, but I wonder. If when a pandemic hits, my response to that, is that an indicator of how I'll respond when, when Jesus, when aligning myself with Jesus becomes illegal and mocked? Or when the recession that's coming hits, how will I respond? 
And here's the mindset that we must learn and practice through the normal suffering of life so that we will be prepared to suffer for Jesus' name. Here it is. Instead of surprise, receive ridicule and hardship as expected confirmation that you are faithful to Jesus. Peter's telling us that when you are mocked for following Christ, you should not be surprised, but you should expect it and let it be confirmation that you belong to him. Do you remember what Peter and the other disciples did when they were beaten for preaching Jesus in Jerusalem? They were called before the leaders of Jerusalem and they were beaten for preaching the name of Jesus. They were beaten and bloody, then they left, and what did they do? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy of sharing in Jesus' sufferings. The same guy, Peter, who maybe weeks before had renounced the name of Jesus to get himself out of a tight fix. And yet he's rejoicing for being counted worthy of suffering for Jesus. We expect this to come and we let it be a confirmation that we are faithful to Jesus. We have so many models in scripture, role models in scripture and in history that show us how to suffer well. You know, Peter talks about this fiery trial. I wonder what specifically was in his mind at that point. Was he thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You remember that, uh, that story from Daniel where these three Hebrew slaves are told to bow down to this idol. It's basically king worship, worshiping King Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, we're not gonna do that. You can do whatever you want to us, but we're not gonna do that. Neither God will save us or he won't either way. We're not gonna do that. And they were thrown in a fiery furnace. God saved them. But there's other people through history who stayed faithful to God and God didn't save them. Peter might be thinking about something that happened around the time he wrote this or maybe before, maybe after, I'm not sure when this happened, but it could be that, G, that Peter was thinking about what Nero had just done with some Christians. You see, Nero hated Christians. He was punishing Christians. And there's a story told, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a story that's told that he had an evening garden party and that he lit the party with the bodies of Christians. Put them on stakes, alive. Lit them on fire to be the light for the evening garden party because they aligned themselves with Jesus. Perhaps that's what Peter was thinking about when he said fire trial, I don't know. But either way, I ask you this question. Do we expect our king to purify us? Do we expect our king to make us faithful to him? Do you? Do you expect King Jesus to purify you, to make you more like him through this life? Do you expect him to make you more and more faithful to him? If you do, you must accept trial. You must expect, expect and accept the fire trials because fire not only purifies metal, but it also serves to prove the metal's authenticity. It purifies it, and it shows that it's faithful. What if instead of seeing hardship as trial, we saw it as training? What if we looked back and looked at what we went through in the pandemic and said, that wasn't just a trial, that was training? What if we had a mindset for this recession that everyone's talking about is gonna come? What if we looked at it and ahead of time said, you know, when it really hits full on, it's not, it's not just a trial, it's training. It's my God training me to walk in holiness, to walk in faithfulness to my king even when it's difficult. Trials alone are not an occasion to rejoice. Just going through something hard is not an occasion to rejoice. Peter says it's trials because of alignment with Jesus that is the cause for rejoicing. Those trials and how you respond to it, showing and proving your faithfulness and unity with him. Trials because you say, I belong to Jesus. So his response is, don't panic, but rejoice. Don't panic, but rejoice. You see, genuine solidarity, faith in Jesus is what will save you when he returns. 
that which causes your suffering right now, being aligned with Jesus and, and obeying him and walking in his way will cause you suffering in the here and now, but it will be the exact thing that causes your rejoicing on the day he returns. In this present world, it will be a growing experience that you will be mocked for loving and following Jesus and carrying his name. And that very suffering, that very reason for suffering, that you are aligned with Jesus, will be the reason when he comes down through the clouds that you will rejoice because you are his and he is yours. And that will be the best day of your life. But to rejoice in that day because of your solidarity with Jesus, you must accept the pain that comes from it in this day. Those who rejoice in suffering for Jesus will also rejoice at the return of Jesus. Peter goes on in verse 14 to say this, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Meddler is like a busybody, a person who sticks their nose into other people's business. Interesting spectrum. He's like murderer or like gossiper. Like a wide spectrum of reasons that you could get yourself in trouble. So here's the deal. There are two main reasons that Christians will be insulted. Reason one, for representing Jesus well. Reason two, for representing Jesus poorly. <laughs> you will be insulted for the name of Jesus. The question Peter's bringing up here is, is it because you were representing him well or is it because you were dumb and you were unwise? And you did things he didn't call you to do and you're bringing punishment on yourself from other people. Let's talk about representing Jesus well in suffering. If you are insulted because you carry the name of Jesus well, consider it a blessing, Peter says. And I think Peter's quoting Jesus himself straight from the Sermon on the Mount here. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 10 through 11. Listen to this, lean in, drink it up. Jesus, our King, said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. There's those words. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church, I wanna encourage your heart with this. If man's approval is denied you because of Jesus, rejoice because you have exchanged it for God's approval. Would you rather have the prosecutor's approval or the judge's approval? There's a million prosecutors running around this world who will insult you and level claims against you. Would you rather be in good favor of the prosecutors or the judge who will decide your fate? Peter says, choose the, choose the judge. Now there's this issue of representing Jesus poorly. If you suffer because you carry the name of Jesus poorly, there's no blessing in that. I've seen too many Christians, probably including myself lately, um, claiming the name of Jesus, but unwisely using the weapons of the enemy to navigate the way things are right now. And then when they receive pushback and they receive anger from the culture around them, they say, well, that's persecution. I'm, I'll have blessing for it because I did it in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is like, don't blame me for that. Don't, don't rope me into your bad decisions to your being a big mouth 
Are you saying things that you thought for, were true, but in a way that I, I'm not behind? Don't put my name on that, Jesus says. I'm not blessing you for misrepresenting me. You know, back in the Ten Commandments, did any of you ever memorize the Ten Commandments growing up? Whoever raised their hand, you need to come up and say it, right? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Commandment three says this. Does anyone know? I just, does anyone know what Commandment three is? Oh, guys. We would fail Sunday school, right? Commandment three, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What does that mean, to take the Lord's name in vain? Growing up, how it was kind of explained to me was uh, that's when you use God's name as a swear. Okay, now, you shouldn't do that. If you love and respect your God and he's your king, why would you use his name for something base? Why would you use Jesus' name for something disrespectful? Don't use the Lord's name as a, as a curse, as a cuss, right? But that's not what this is about. This command, don't take the Lord's name in vain, that word take is the word to take up or to carry, to take on. And so in the 10 commandments, God is saying to Israel, you're gonna go out there and in front of the nation say, I, as an Israelite, belong to Yahweh, the God of all gods. I'm taking on his name. He is who defines me. But then if you live in a way that does not indicate that you belong to him, that is opposite of him, you are taking on the Lord's name in vain because you're saying I belong to Yahweh, saying I belong to the kingdom of heaven, but living like the kingdom of hell. So we don't take on the name of God vainly. We don't say, oh yes, I belong to Jesus, but then do whatever we want. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. It's a little more serious than using it as a cuss. But it makes a little more sense though, doesn't it? I think that's what Peter is saying here. Peter is saying, don't say one thing that I belong to Jesus and then live another. If you say you bear the name of Jesus and you call yourself a Christian, let your life authenticate it. Don't bear the name of Jesus and then act and behave and make decisions like and communicate like the world. You cannot lay claim to blessing if your suffering is produced by sin. The cause of the suffering warrants its merit. Now, it's interesting that Peter sets up this spectrum of sin, like I mentioned before, starting with murder, but ending with busybodying, like meddling, getting other people's business. Someone who sticks their nose into other people's business. We tend to minimize the impact of that kind of sin. We say, well, at least I'm not a murderer. I don't murder. I don't steal from people, those types of things. But he's like, but guys, even in, in, in the stuff you would say are the small stuff, like the, the okay list of Christian sins, like gossiping and, and, and sticking your nose into people's business. Are you the kind of person that's constantly giving your opinion and your thoughts on stuff, injecting your opinion into things and people around you are like, thanks for sharing, but nobody asked. That's meddling. That's sticking your nose into business that you were not invited into. If you get mocked for that, Jesus is saying, that's on you. There's no blessing in that. But that's the type of stuff that those of us who try to, as Christians, live the moral life and live by a code, we tend to excuse that kind of thing. He's like, you'll get mocked for that too and it's not my fault. but we all stumble, don't we? We all fail. No one has ever carried Jesus's name perfectly, have we? Have we? No. Think of Peter when he writes this list and jots down the word murderer. I wonder if when he said, don't suffer because you sin as a murderer, I wonder if he was thinking of the night that Jesus was betrayed. Do you remember what Peter did? 
he took out a sword and he cut off the ear of a servant of the high priest. He resorted to violence. I wonder if while Peter was writing this, he was saying, thank God I have horrible aim. I went for his neck, but I only got his ear. So I didn't become a murderer that night. And, and like I said earlier, Peter's the one who later that night denied Jesus three times. And yet it's Peter who's writing this to us and saying, when they come after you for association with Jesus, claim it and wear it proudly. If, G if Jesus can change Peter, he can change me and you, and we can be faithful too. We're gonna blow it. We're gonna mess it up. We're not gonna perfectly carry Jesus' name well, but there is grace, there is mercy, and Jesus will teach us through it if we'll be humble enough to listen. Amen. He goes on in verse 16, he says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed when they mock you, when they tease you, don't be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What name? Jesus, Christ, Christian. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous, he's quoting some Old Testament scripture, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the godly and the sinner? You see, Peter seems to assume that publicly aligning with Jesus will at some point in time bring persecution. Right now, it's growing that way, more so here. In other parts of the world, it is fully fledged that way. Where if they find out you're a Christian and you align with Jesus, it's over. So for us, it hasn't gotten there yet. I believe that someday it will. And I would add not only persecution, but I think that in the system of this world, which is set to reward sin and selfishness, a life of following Jesus is just going to be a little more difficult. Because we as disciples of Jesus are choosing not to unlock benefits if it means that we have to take up the key of sin and self. So we're going to purposely say no to benefits that could be ours if it means we have to sin to get there. And so life might be a little bit harder for followers of Jesus just because that's the way the world seems to be set up in its broken ways. It's so natural when we're mocked for something to distance ourselves from that we're being mocked for, right? When I was in junior high, this kid that I saw as being super popular and liked and stuff like that, he, um, we were on the basketball team together. Can you imagine me playing basketball? It was sad, third string, barely ever played. I think I made four points the entire season. Anyways, I, he had these shoes. They were LA Gears. You guys remember LA Gear shoes? They were all white, sleek, they were awesome, right? You know, he's wearing these at practice and, he, and he's really good at basketball, I'm like, oh. So it was time for me to get a new pair of shoes and what shoes did I wanna get? white LA gears, I got them, they were not cheap, you know. My mom paid a lot of money for those, those shoes and I wore them to school and uh, when I got to school, he was like, dude, why are you wearing those shoes? I was like, well, I just, I like them. He's like, you wear those shoes because I, I wear those shoes, right? I was like, well, I mean, I saw them and I liked them. He's like, those were my sister's shoes. I was wearing them because I didn't have another pair to wear. I don't think they're cool. And like right then and there, I was like, oh yeah, well, I'll just take, I mean, I wanted to take the shoes off and be like, well, I don't like them either. I just, you know, they were there. They were only pair at the store. They ran out of everything else. I wanted to distance myself from the shoes because now I'm being mocked for it, right? We, we do this. When we're mocked for something, we want to distance ourselves from it. But Peter's saying, do the exact opposite with Jesus. When you're mocked for him, draw closer. Pull him in. We must prepare ourselves not only to endure being mocked for faithfulness to Jesus, but let it push us to even greater faithfulness to him. That when we are mocked because we love Jesus, we're following him, and we are living in a wise way. Remember, not the foolish ways that bring stuff onto ourselves, but a wise way. When we are mocked for it, Peter says, don't be surprised, don't get even, don't revenge. Keep going. 
pull him closer. Let it make you be more faithful to him because this world is currently upside down, but it won't always be. Will we be faithful to this temporary upside down world or are we gonna be faithful and loyal to the permanent right side world to come? How will we live now? When Jesus brings his kingdom, will we be ashamed of how we lived now in light of them? And so we answer shame with faithfulness. Not surprise, not distancing. We answer the shame that will come our way, not with mocking back, not with powering up and powering over. We just stay faithful and more so to King Jesus. Peter talks about judgment to come. Suffering for the name of Jesus is a test we must pass. You see, there's gonna be judgment. And the judgment that comes, we can assume this is from God, but I think it's everything. This world is gonna judge us. There is a judgment day with God where those who have been faithful to him will enter his kingdom and those who don't want him will continue to reject him. And he says the judgment, the testing starts in his house, the church. And this test, this judging time will have a purifying effect on Jesus' true disciples. It will purify us. And it will show us to be true and real. And sadly, this test, this judging time will repulse and repel those who reject Jesus or are just playing at following him. And this isn't to say that a true disciple won't be tempted to give up and run away. No, that's why Peter's writing this. Because we will be tempted to run away. Because we will be surprised. Because no matter how many times we've been warned, when the pain comes, it'll hurt. We'll want to pull our hand off the fire. But true disciples of Jesus go through this difficulty in this life. And it will be tempting to give up. But at the end of all things, we will find that we have aligned ourselves with the judge himself not with the ones who will be judged. And we pray for those who will be judged that they won't be. <laughs> that they will too repent and come to Jesus as their king and savior. And so in verse 19, Peter wraps up this way. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I want to encourage you deeply beyond all the shallow things I could say to encourage your hearts today. I want to encourage you deeply. I want you to drink deeply of the encouragement God gives. There are so many of you that are going through really, really hard stuff or have gone through really hard stuff, continue to go through really hard stuff and will continue to go through really hard stuff. I know it, I know it. I know stories in this room. I knew stories in the last room of what people are going through. And you're trying so hard to honor God through it. And what I've seen in the lives of those I love when they're suffering when the pain persists and it goes on after more than a couple days and more than a couple weeks and it just goes on and on and on, it's really easy to ask, why God is there no relief? Have I done something wrong? Have you forsaken me? And it's right there at that crisis of the heart that Peter writes this scripture. He swoops in with its inspired word from God. And in essence, he says, if you're suffering and there is no evidence of rebellion on your part against God, take heart. You are not being punished as if you were outside the will of God. You are experiencing what faithful believers will experience in an upside down sin sick world. Don't lose heart. God isn't leaving you. He's confirming you. Believers who are faithfully following Jesus should not assume that their suffering is punishment. 
There's lots of reasons we suffer in this world. But when we are faithfully, not perfectly, faithfully following Jesus, we should never assume it's punishment. When we are in the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we should never assume that the, puni- that the, sorry, the suffering we're experiencing is punishment. There's many reasons we could suffer, but that's not one of them when we are faithfully following Jesus, not perfectly, faithfully. So don't lose hope. The creator, not the creation, is ultimately in control. It feels a lot like the creation, the created things are in control right now, doesn't it? I mean, come on, you guys. Look around. Stuff's going crazy. We live in a different world than we did 10 years ago. Five years ago. It can be really tempting to say the things which God created are the things that are calling the shots right now. And if you look at it in the here and now, there may be some validity to saying that. But in the light of eternity, in the light of all that God is doing and the power he has, creation is not in control. The creator is. And so we entrust our soul, who? To the things that will fade and go away and shift and one moment will bless you and the other moment will curse you. Is that what we entrust our soul to? No. We entrust our soul to the God and Father who loves us, who created us, and who will always be with us. There's another in the fire standing next to me. And so, what do disciples of Jesus do when evil comes our way and when we're mocked and when we suffer and when we're persecuted for the name of Jesus? We answer evil with good. Peter says so. While doing good. We don't retreat. We don't say, forget this, I'm moving somewhere else. We don't say, hey, I'm done, I'm out, I'm gonna live in the cabin in the woods, that's my personal fantasy, where I have neighbors, but they're like 20 miles away. (laughs) That's not how the people of God respond. We absorb the suffering, we entrust it to the creator, and we keep moving forward, doing the good that Ephesians 2.10 says God prepared for us in advance. He knew this would come. He knew that we'd hit the median curb. He knew it would be bumpy. But will we swerve away? And then will we swerve away again? Or will we keep steering forward? We respond in the opposite spirit of what is being leveled our way. I believe that this world is gonna continue in the pattern of hardship and suffering for disciples of Jesus. I Don't believe it gets better until it does. The devil, our enemy, um, he's going to try to use the, the, the situations that we find in this world to shake the tree. See what falls out. When the pandemic hit, the devil had a plan for that. He came and he shook the tree. I don't know what statistics are the right statistics because everyone says something different, but a very large percentage of people who aligned with Jesus before the pandemic fell away during the pandemic. The devil shook the tree and he meant it for evil. And we see empty seats of people who didn't make it. Not all. I'm not saying everyone who's not here is that. But there are some empty seats in this room that come from the fact that the devil shook and they didn't persevere. And I think there's more to come. And he's going to shake it again. And those who really want to follow Jesus, but who are not clinging tightly to him, 
and are not living in community with each other as faithful believers, encouraging, inspiring each other to live for him all the more as we see the day approaching. Those who are living saying, I wanna follow God, but their, their relationship with God and his family is, is distant at best. I wonder what happens when the devil shakes the tree again. I'm gonna believe that we'll remain faithful. That's what I'm gonna believe. And what about when it gets to the point, whether in our lifetime or our kids or their kids, when the shaking comes in the form of you cannot align with Jesus, and if you do, you will be punished. When the devil shakes the tree like that, I wanna, I wanna remind you that the eject button will be easier than ever. It's just words. All you have to say is, I renounce Jesus. The hardest persecution will come with the easiest eject. But will, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will we have let Jesus have his way through the hardship that we face so that it builds our character and builds our faithfulness to him so that on that day when the eject button is so easy and the off-ramp is so clear, we would say, not on your life will I take it. Because Jesus is more of a treasure and a joy for me than anything you could offer me. That doesn't happen overnight, friends, family. That does not happen overnight. You will not wake up tomorrow and be 100% faithful to Jesus. It takes hardship after hardship after trial after trial. And win, lose, or draw, at the end of it all, being faithful to Jesus over and over and over, that's what will train you for that day. That's what will keep your heart faithful in that day. So we don't look at the trials and the fire and the hardship that we go through now, the normal stuff of life. We don't look at it as just trials. We look at it as training. My God is being faithful to train me for the marathon I'll have to run. He's taking me one lap today. He'll take me two the next He'll take me three, and pretty soon, I'll be able to run the marathon of a life lived in faithfulness to Jesus forever. Some of you might say, Travis, you said you wanted to encourage me. That sounds pretty hard and gloomy. I know. But here in my heart, I am encouraging you with real stuff. Not the fluff, not the cotton candy. This is meat and potatoes. We draw near to Jesus. We love him and spend time with him every day so that he becomes the greatest treasure. And when hardship comes, maybe this time we'll be a little less surprised and a little more ready for it and a little more ready to say, this is training. I'm gonna obey Jesus. I'm not gonna swerve. I'm gonna keep following him. That is my prayer for you. That's what I believe of you that you will face the test, that you will face the trial, and you will follow Jesus. That's what I believe. Who fits into that category? I don't know, but that's what I'm gonna believe of the people of this family. Jesus will sustain you, because he's faithful. And so this all leads to this this plate that's been sitting here in the center of everyone's view, the entire service. That's why we set it here. You should probably get a table. <laughs> Communion serves as, as, as a few things, but one of the things it serves is as a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice so that we could have his grace. That is something we should always remember when we take this, but Today, I want to focus on one other aspect of it, and it's this, that every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, Jesus talked about the cup being the blood of his covenant, the new covenant. We are, by taking this, reminding ourselves that we have sworn an oath of loyalty to King Jesus. He's the only one worthy of our oath.
He's the only one worthy of our unfading loyalty. And so when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember that we have pledged ourselves to King Jesus because he first pledged himself to us. This is a response. So when we take this today, I want you to take a moment before we do, and I want you to pray and talk to your God. Let him remind you, and let this be a reconfirmation of that which you have sworn loyalty to, King Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. And when we eat it and drink it, we eat it and drink it to him. Take a moment and let him remind you of the faith you've put into him and the salvation by grace through faith that he's given to you completely out of his mercy. Jesus, remember, we, re we remember that your body was broken for us so that we could live and have a life. We eat this bread in remembrance of what you've done for us. And Jesus, you shed your blood on the cross for us, doing all the work so that we could have life. We drink this cup in remembrance of that, in remembrance of the pledge that we made to you to follow you forever. We drink this in loyalty to you, King Jesus. Let's drink the cup. Father in heaven, thank you for your sustaining, powerful, work in our lives. May we be found faithful in the day of testing and all the days of testing in between. We love you and pray this in Jesus' holy name. Everyone said. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.